Go ahead and turn your Bibles over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The title of the message is Decision Day. You know, Jesus raising from the dead is not just any occurrence. It is a holiday we celebrate, and a great one at that, but it goes far beyond Easter. It gives us life, it gives us hope, it gives us an opportunity that would be impossible without what Jesus accomplished that morning. Paul, in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, starting in chapter 15, says, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you've received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers, at the same time most of who are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, He appeared to me also, to one abnormally born." For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace to me was not without effect. Now I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you have believed." You know, Paul wanted to refresh the memory of the Corinthian church. And he said, this is the gospel. When we talk about the good news, this is it. It's the heart of the matter. And he said, it's not some rumor. It's not some fable that just passed on through generations. You know, for you and I, it was 2,000 years ago. But for the Corinthian church, he said, listen, Jesus appeared to me. He appeared to the twelve. He appeared uh, to all the disciples. He appeared to a group of 500, and most of them are still living. You say, why is that important? Because when you have eyewitnesses, the temptation is to go, oh, I don't know if I want to believe this. And so Paul was refreshing the minds and the hearts of the church, saying, remember the gospel. He said, because if you forget it, you have believed in vain. There is no Christianity without Easter. You cannot believe anything about Christianity and say, but I don't know about the resurrection. You can't be a Christian unless you fully are committed to the message of the gospel of Christ, that Jesus died for our sins, that He was crucified, that He was buried for three days and was resurrected from the grave. Paul said that is the gospel. That needs to be our core conviction. And you can't claim to be a Christian unless you believe it 100%. You know, Paul says, His grace to me was not without effect. No matter who you are, the cross has an effect. You say, oh, what effect? Well, that depends upon your response. And we're going to briefly look at three. You know, you have a choice. 
You can hear the message of the gospel, and there are three things you can do. You can deny it, you can doubt it, or you can devote yourself to it. But you're going to see yourself somewhere in there. You know, the first one we're going to look at is denying it. Go to Matthew chapter 27. Now, I love the fact that God records this episode in his word because it so illustrates the way we can think when we want to deny the gospel. In Matthew 27, this is right after Jesus had died and been put in the tomb. And in verse 62, it says, The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he's been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. You know what? This is recorded because even today there are theories that say Jesus never died. That he still you know, in a tomb somewhere. He didn't resurrect. That when they went to the tomb to visit, they were just visiting the wrong one. You know, so it wasn't empty at all. They just went to the wrong tomb. You know, the only problem is, that means the Roman centurions guarded the wrong tomb. You know, Peter, Mary, the women, they went to go see Jesus and they went to the wrong tomb. And even the angels of God went and appeared to them at the wrong tomb. You know you got problems when God's angels are going to the wrong tomb. You know, what was the whole reason they went through this? Because the chief priests were worried that the disciples would claim resurrection from the dead. And they said, we got to do everything in our human power to prevent this myth. And so they guarded this tomb, and it says when they put a seal on it, that was a seal that if broken by anything other than the governor's orders, you would be executed. They were doing everything they could. To make sure there wouldn't be an empty tomb. The only problem is when God wants to make something happen, it doesn't matter how hard we try. We are never going to stop it. You know, the story continues in chapter 28 after Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Now they're like, oh, my goodness, we're trying to stop it. What are we going to do? Well, look at this in chapter 28, verse 11. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, 
You are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and we'll keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Don't you love the fact that it's just there for us to read? You know, whenever you try and deny God and his plan in your life, the truth is always clear to everybody anyway. You know, we think we're, we're, we're being secretive. And people are like, yeah, I know. You say, well, like, what are ways we do that? Well, it's like somebody says, hey, you know, you ought to keep coming to church. You ought to study the Bible. You ought to be committed. And we say something like, oh, yeah, you know, hey, thanks, but I already have a church. It's very nice. And you haven't been there in decades. But you're lying. Why? Because you don't want to be committed. You don't want to have to change. It's so much easier to just show up every once in a while, get a little soothing for the conscience, and leave feeling like I did my good deed for the day. God must be proud of me. I came today. Listen, we deny the resurrection from the dead when we look at what Jesus said and we look at what Jesus did and we go, yeah, that's nice and I'm thankful, but I'm not changing my life. You know, we'll go through fancy gymnastics verbally to try and keep people at bay. I'm busy. I got a lot going on. I've got uh, this and this and this. Really, you don't have one hour in a week? You're that busy? Show me your schedule. Oh, no, we don't need to do that. How much TV do you watch in a week? How many hours do you surf the Internet? You know what? I'll save you some time in your schedule to free it up. Try going a week without surfing the internet and watching TV. You'll be amazed at how much your schedule opens up. We have time if we want to respond to the truth. You know, right now there are people in this audience trying to figure out, what answer am I going to give? Because I don't want to change. But the preacher just put me on blast. And so how am I going to worm my way out of this so I don't look like one of these guys. You can't. Because you either devote yourself to it, or you deny it, or you're doubting. You see, there is that middle ground. There's the doubters. And the doubters say, I would devote myself, but I just kind of struggle to believe it. I want more. You see, and that's the second group. We're going to look at the doubters. Yeah, and first, remember what Paul told the church in Corinth. He said, Jesus' resurrection is a fact. He appeared to me, 
to Peter, to the twelve, to the women, to more than 500. And most of them are all alive. So you could say, well, I don't believe it. And Paul says, well, there's 500 people that saw it. So you're wrong. He said, well, what do we do now? Because there aren't any eyewitnesses alive now for me to talk to. Well, let's go to John 20. John chapter 20. Starting in verse 24 down to verse 31. It says, now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Now they're like, Thomas, we saw him eye to eye. We're eyewitnesses. It's true. The thing Jesus promised, it happened. Surely Thomas is going to go, okay, I surrender. I'm there. What did Thomas say? Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you've seen me, you'll believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. You know, Jesus confronted Thomas in all his doubts. Because Thomas is like, hey, I want to believe, but I don't, because I didn't get to see it with my own eyes. You know, here's what I need. I want to put my finger in those nail holes, and I want to put my fist in his side. You know, and Jesus appears. And he says, all right, Thomas, come on over. You know what? Thomas never fulfilled the things that he said he had to do. He just repents on the spot. Jesus said, stop doubting and believe. And John says, listen, this is why he wrote the book. It's why the whole gospel of John exists. So the doubters can believe. So that we can read the word of God and be convinced. You know, Jesus told a story about a rich man and Lazarus over in Luke 16. You don't need to turn there. But the rich man never responds. And he's in a bad place. And he begs Father Abraham to send somebody to go warn his brothers. And Abraham says, no, they got the word of God. And he says, no, they need somebody to rise from the dead. And if somebody goes back, then they'll respond. And Abraham says, no, 
If Moses in the prophets is not enough, they will not repent even if somebody rises from the dead and goes back to them. The word of God is enough. People that say the word of God is not enough are people that have never thoroughly read and studied and obeyed the word of God. John 8, 31, 32 says belief is not enough. You've got to hold to the teaching and then you'll know the truth. You cannot just intellectually study the Bible and discover its truth. You've got to make a decision to obey it. You go, well, I don't want to obey until I know it's true. Well, then you're never going to get there. That would be like an athletic coach saying, hey, you know, your free throw stinks. And if you really want to have a better free throw shot, you need to shoot this way. Well, I'm not going to shoot that way until I'm convinced that your method is true. Well, until you put it into practice, you're not going to find out. Spiritual truth is the same way. You go, why should I obey it if I'm not totally convinced? Because that's what Jesus says to do. Let me give you this test. You go, I want to believe it's true. Okay, then do this. Take a month of your life and obey it to the best of your ability every hour of every day. And don't worry about the fact that you're not convinced it's true. Study it with all your heart. Pray. Read. But do everything in your power to obey what it says to do. And if at the end of that month you're not thoroughly convinced, then just throw your Bible away. You go, what do you mean? So one month, and if, if not, then... Never come back to it? Yeah. You know what? If you do it, you'll never throw your Bible away. Because by the end of that month, you will be so convinced that it holds the key to eternal life. You will cling to it. It's a challenge given to atheists of 50, 60 years. And in two weeks, three weeks, in a month, you see them have a faith that you would think that they've been a Christian their entire life. But obedience is the key. You see, if you just want to make it about theory, you'll never know the truth. Because obedience is the key. So have you ever really studied the Bible with that mentality? There's a lot of us that grew up in religious homes that claim to have studied the Bible. How many verses can you quote? Can you, can you find your way to all the books of the Bible? Do you know what it says? If you claim to live the Christian life and somebody asks you why you do what you do, can you substantiate your life verse by verse? Are you humble to the Word of God so the Bible says something and you go, that's what it says? That's exactly what I'm going to do. Or your conversations have a lot of feeling in it. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, the Bible says this, yeah, but I just feel that for me, well, I don't have to do that. See, will you have the courage 
to talk to the person that invited you to church and say, will you please study the Bible with me this way? Because I want to look at it all over again as a manual for life. Not just reading some cool verses every now and then. By the way, if you're reading a, a version like the King James Bible, I encourage you to get a more modern English version. You know, the King James is fine. If you're good at Shakespeare, then you'll probably understand it. I wasn't, and so I didn't. I'd read a verse and go, I have no idea, but it sounds spiritual. You know, get a Bible in readable English so you can implement the truth. Overcome your doubts. You know, every once in a while, you, you get a doubt, and you see what the Bible says, and you go, I'm just stuck. You know, Jesus did not tell Thomas, well, okay, Thomas, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go read 35 spiritual books. You know, go to the Jerusalem, you know, Christian developing bookstore and read this list. And then pray about it and fast for a couple days. And then hopefully you'll be there. You know what he told Thomas? Stop doubting and believe. There's some in this audience that Jesus is saying that to you this morning. Stop doubting and believe. You know, I figure if it was good input for Thomas, it's good input for us. The Word of God says it. We choose to believe it and obey it and put it into practice in our life. You know, the third choice we have is devote ourselves to it. Go to Matthew 28. Verse 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know what Jesus called them to do here? He said, go make a world impact. Take the gospel. Take the message of the gospel and spread it around the planet. You know, a whole different level. He says, make your life count. Live for something. What are you living for right now? Why do you get up in the morning? What are you trying to accomplish each and every day? Jesus says your life can have eternal impact. And I was, I was moved by what Vicky and Amanda shared, but you know why that happened? Because Amber decided to make her life count. Say, we're here because somebody wanted their life to count. Maybe you're happy to come to church. Maybe you came reluctantly and it was an awkward conversation. Be thankful that somebody wanted to make their life count. 
You know, what the gospel message is eternal. It changes people's destiny forever. It doesn't help them for a year. It helps them forever. We have such a hard time thinking about living forever. To us, ten years from now, five years from now, seems like eternity. No, it's not even close to eternity. Paul said, his grace to me was not without effect. So what will your decision be this morning? Do you want your life to count? Don't waste the life that Jesus died to give you. It was a painful, torturous death. Why? To give you a hope. Jesus had you in mind on the cross when he died. He knew what you've done. He knew how you've lived. And he said, I want you to have a hope. What decision will you make? Have you been making excuses trying to deny it? Listen, do so no longer. God's not going anywhere. You're not going to come up with some trick that nobody's figured out. It's just a sugar-coated no. You're not going to stop God and his kingdom. Jesus is already resurrected from the dead. And now the decision is up to each one of us. So I struggle with doubt. Obey the word of God. Test God. Put it into practice. And you will know the truth of it. Study it with all your heart. And finally, to do what? Devote yourself to it. Make your life count. God has a glorious life in store. One that is going to change other lives for eternity. Let's make our decision on Easter. Let's have the courage. Let's have the humility to have a great time of fellowship afterwards and be honest about where we're really at. Make a decision to study the Bible. Don't make excuses. Devote your life and make it count. Amen.